Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Hour number two. Underway. Beautiful day in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. It's a great day to get some barbecue. We're broadcasting live from the Mallard Creek Barbecue. It's the annual event. 91 years or 93 years it's been going on, except for the last two because of the pandemic. Thanks a lot, Wuhan. And uh, now they're back open. They've got five lanes of drive through traffic. You can come on down and get you some barbecue. And uh, I did. I got a bunch of barbecue. It's sitting in my uh, my lunch pail over there. And then I'm going to uh, take it down to the road and start selling it when they run out. I'm going to make a lot of money today, people. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110 are the phone numbers if you want to join the program. Uh, we're going to talk with Peter Flaherty at 1.30 and then Ben Weingarten at, uh, from Real Clear Investigations. We're going to talk with him at 2 about ESG-related items. Um, but first, let me get, uh, well, yeah, let's get Scott on the program here. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the show. How are you? Pete, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Are you on a speakerphone? I am. Shall I get off it? Yeah, if you don't mind, that's. It's. It I mean, better? it's. I can still make it. Yeah, that's much better. Well, Thank you, sir. I will tell you, I don't miss much about politics, but I do miss the Mallard Creek barbecue. That's a fact. <laughs> and yeah. and, I, and just in case the boss is listening, I I'd, I'd want to add to the chorus of people that really appreciate having your voice on the air every day. Oh, Great that's to, very kind of you. I appreciate I appreciate that, Scott. Is there anything I can say about polling that that would be helpful? I, I, I got to tell you this. I agree with you. These pollsters get paid uh, to to give you the result that you're looking for. And when it comes mm-hmm. to candidates, candidates are looking for accuracy, and they get mm-hmm. it. Um, the, you know, other people pay pollsters, like you said to for, for a variety of reasons right and some of it's to, mm-hmm. to actually move uh the public in a direction but I, I would tell you as a candidate if you ask a pollster to give you a poll result that will help you move um, the public they will absolutely refuse and and what they're going to say is that's my career and my reputation, and I'm not putting it on the line for your candidacy. doesn't matter who you are. So the, the best so of the it, best, they work for the candidates, and their, their, their right. results are insanely accurate. Right, because the candidates are paying for the accuracy. That's right. They're putting actual money on the line for the accuracy, uh, unlike a partnership with like a media company that's looking to create a story, and that then you know forces the construction of the questions to achieve whatever the outcome will give you the better story you're looking for. That's that's exactly it. You get what you pay for. And candidates, yeah, we now want it's the, true. We want the cold hard truth. All right, so you keep saying we, we. So what are you running for? I'm not running for anything ever, but I, I, I was a congressional <laughs> candidate a couple of times. So ah, I, okay. I, what, uh, I met all the big posters. Okay. So if you had to, um, well, which ones do you trust? Let me ask it that way. Uh, I can't remember the names of them. It's been so long. I, I last ran in 2012. Okay. So I'd, I'd have to look that up to remember, but I, I'm just telling you, 
the pollsters are the most respected people in politics, like the, the general managers of the campaigns, the candidates, everybody. We look to the pollsters to tell us what the battlefield looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and they and, don't and play around. And they, don't, and they won't do favors for anybody, and I don't blame them. Right. Yeah. No. And that that squares with what I heard years ago. And, you know, it it was just from one person. But now I guess you would be a second person confirming this idea that the best pollsters go to work for the candidates and uh, and you and because the candidates want the accuracy and that's what they're paying for. Um, That's that's what I had heard as well. The best pollsters. Yeah. Right, yep. the company names and the people that are doing it—they're all behind the scenes. Yeah, it's not like, yep. well, um, I won't—I won't name the polling outfit here in North Carolina, but like, <laughs> for example, Nate Silver uh, is always ripping on these guys because they—they they produce a lot of garbage and they do it in order to to set narratives and to advance stories uh, and to uh, uh, make a certain party look better. Um, I know which, uh, you know, I know that one. And it, look, first of all, they run these little quick polls, right, that are like punch button number three for this answer and punch button number four for that one. Um, They're not scientific. They are designed for just what you said, and they're they're on the other side of the aisle from me and probably from you, and that's what they do. They they work, but but that's not a candidate's polling firm. That's a, uh, that's, they've got a job to do, and it's not accuracy. Right. I got you. Scott, I appreciate the call, sir. Good to talk with you. All right. Take care. Um, i got Ed here up next. Let's see. Hello, Ed. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just had an yes, interesting sir. stage set up for debate, and that would be um, Joe Biden debating uh, Fetterman and have Kamala Harris as, an, as the uh, moderator. Ooh. That would actually be great pay-per-view. That would be great pay-per-view. Wouldn't it? Oh my gosh, yeah. Now, Ed, you could put him on the you could put him on the uh on the on the shot clock too. And and you could yeah. if they uh if they I don't know, we can incentivize them somehow with ice cream cones. That yeah, this could work. I I would be a good one, yeah. Or maybe Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. With, uh, Burisma. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. Uh, yeah, that would be good. By the way, um, have you seen this video that uh, went out uh, yesterday? Biden was at the White House, and you know, and they 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 march the reporters past the president, and this is every president, right? They got him sitting at a chair, and they uh, they bring all the reporters in the room, and they take the pictures and. And then some reporter will start, you know, throwing a question out, and then they all start screaming questions, and it turns into this like cacophony of dumbassery. And uh, and then you hear like the the White House press people are like, "Get out!" or "Everybody move!" and they're trying to like move everyone out of the room and all that. So there's this video of Biden yesterday. This happened, and he's sitting in the chair, and as the people start screaming the questions out to him. And the press people try to herd the media out of the room. He starts doing this mocking of the reporters, which, as I understand, like that is a direct assault on democracy, if I recall correctly. Um, 
I'm just thinking back the last you know, six years or so. Uh, any attack on a reporter or a journalist or any kind of mockery of them is a, is a direct attack on democracy. And, uh, and he's doing this thing with his mouth where he's like kind of... And he's like, and he's like smirking at them, mocking them for, for throwing questions at him. It's just weird. But here's the really weird part. I don't think it is nobody is paying any attention to this. Have you seen him chew his cud? What's up with that? What is the deal with that? He sits there. And he's like, he's like he's chewing the inside of his teeth or whatever. Somebody said, oh, it's um. Denture related people who have dentures mess around with them or something, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he has dentures or not. Maybe he does. I don't know. But then a friend of mine said on Twitter that her daughter-in-law actually had some sort of like terrible bacterial infection, and uh, the doctor, like all these doctors, missed it. Except one finally it was like the third or fourth doctor finally diagnosed it because he saw her doing that doing that motion, making that chewing motion with her mouth. And that's when he said, you have this infection, and it affects the brain. And it actually, like, attacks the brain. And this doctor said he believes that there are all these people in the psych wards that aren't actually crazy, but that they had this affliction. Isn't that nuts? Look, I'm not saying the president's gone crazy. I'm just saying he's, he's making a weird motion with his mouth. I just think it's not getting enough attention. That's all. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Mm-hmm. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. And uh, uh, earlier I mentioned this uh, piece by Ed Morrissey about uh, Democrats who had been uh, making this case, right? Like the GOP is the anti-democracy party. Donald Trump is a threat to the democracy. And they've been beating this drum for a very long time. Has it worked? No. According to a poll from Siena College and the New York Times, 45% of Americans regard Trump as a, quote, major threat to democracy, but 28% say the same about the GOP. 28%. But that's lower than what the people say about the Democrats. The Democratic Party is viewed as more of a threat to democracy than the Republican Party is. So... There was another aspect to this. Where was it? Uh, independents are significantly more likely to view Democrats as a major threat than Republicans, while more than 6 in 10 view each party as at least a minor threat. 23% view the GOP as a major threat. 31% say the Democrats are the major threat. Independents are actually more likely to view voting by mail as a major threat to democracy than even the Republicans. Again, independents more likely to view voting by mail as a major threat to democracy than the GOP. Right, so all of their efforts have been in vain. Oh, you hate to see it, you know? You just hate to see it. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the program. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. What's up? What's going on? Well, I heard your your, uh, talk about polling and so forth, and over the years I've been uh, polled myself, and I don't really have a whole lot of faith in the media and polls, so I wasn't honest in my responses. 
You were and not I honest? I was not. And I wonder how many other people do what I did. <laughs> why would you why would you be dishonest in your answers? What was the what was the play there? Well the play was I felt like the polls that I was hearing, this goes back when Hillary and Trump were being polled. Okay. And I, it just didn't make sense to me that she was ahead and everything. So I thought, you know, I don't think that the media or whoever's doing the polling is doing it honestly. So I thought, I'm not going to be honest either. So I wanted to skew the results, and that's why I did it. And so maybe you're the reason why everyone thought that she would win. It's your <laughs> fault. Well, it could be, except that I didn't say that I thought she would win. Oh, okay. Well, all right, because if they take whatever you said and they extrapolate that out to mean, like, millions of people agree with what you said, maybe maybe you're the reason why everybody was so wrong. Um, Well, I I I wonder how many other people do it. I wonder how many other people are not honest in the polling when they're polled. No, it's a fair question, and it's one of the it's one of the things that the pollsters, the good ones, they try to account for it. They try to uh, to prevent that from happening, uh, and that gets to sample size and who you're talking with and how you're actually asking the questions. Like, what's the platform you're using? Is it uh, phone calls, website based, or you know, or what? And, and so there are a lot of different factors that go into this, and the good ones they they control for that stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, maybe it's equal, equally distributed amongst both sides, where you have liars on both sides of polls, like me. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the case. I'm normally a very honest person, but when it comes uh-huh. to polling, no, how can I'm I not. trust you? How can I? How can I even trust you, Dave? When you say that you're honest, after you just told us that you lied to the pollster, I don't even know if your name is Dave at it's this point. Dave. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the call, sir. Yeah. I love your show, buddy. Keep it up. All right. Well, thanks so much. All right, man, I appreciate that. Thank you, Dave. I do not endorse the lying to pollsters. I don't endorse it, but I understand. I understand. Look, I as soon as I get... I've only been called by a pollster, I think, maybe twice in my life. I mean, for, uh, for a political thing. I've gotten calls for... Or approached by people, you know, out on the street uh, or at the mall or something like, oh, do you want to try this razor? Whatever. No, I don't. But um, as far as the like a political pollster, mm, uh, maybe twice. Once, definitely. I remember exactly where I was when the call came in. Uh, This would have been probably around 2000, 2002, because I was living off of Selwyn Avenue and... Um, I was standing right there in my tiny little one-bedroom apartment with the uh, paper walls and the uh, the bowling team that lived upstairs. And then uh, yeah, I was just I was I answered the phone and they were like, "Yeah, we're polling." And I, I said, "Well, I'm a member of the media." And they were like, "Okay, well, thank you very much." And that was the end. I didn't even get to participate because I was I was I don't know prejudice or something. Again, like, I think I would be the best person to ask. I'm informed about this information, right, about the races and the candidates. I would have thought I would be a great person. But apparently not. I also also thought I'd be great for a jury trial. I mean, not to not to be put to a jury trial, but to be on a jury at a trial. But every time I ever get called for jury trial or jury uh, duty, uh, and I sit for the the voir dire, I always get thrown off. I, I think I can 
assess this information. I think I can weigh all of the information honestly. I think I could be a pretty good judge uh, and not let things cloud my judgment. I'm listening to the evidence and, you know. And then they're like, do you know anybody in the courtroom? And then it's like, okay, then the wheels fall off. Because, like, I know that guy, he, and I know the judge, and I know that guy, and I interviewed your boss, and it didn't go well. And, oh, my wife works for the lawyer right there. So, like, yeah, it never goes well. I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, independents more likely to view Democrats as the major threat, which is just hilarious after all of their branding efforts. But I think also part of this is because of what we saw over the last, uh, well, three years, right? Since before the pandemic. The inauguration of Trump was met with violence in D.C., remember? Remember there was a limousine that got torched in D.C., remember? That was at the inauguration. People were assaulted. Remember then at the, they had, at the swearing in at the White House. Remember Rand Paul got chased down the street and surrounded and there was scuffles that broke out. Like that stuff was happening. Remember the rallies. I was in Asheville at the time. And there was a Trump rally in Asheville, and the cops in Asheville, uh, they were told, this was the story I was told, was that they were, uh, they were told how to perform the security for the crowd after the event was over. And they allowed the Trump supporters at the rally to leave, and the protesters, the leftists, had set up essentially a gauntlet out the front doors. And so all of the people who attended the rally had to run this gauntlet. And that, it, it turned physical. There was an old guy and some old woman with the air oxygen, you know, tank. And she goes up and she like hits the guy, old man on the shoulder and he turns around and swats her hand away. And so she takes a tumble and everyone goes nuts. And then they, they, they charge him with assaulting her and all this. Yeah, it's just... People remember those rallies. People remember the, the fights and the scuffles. The Remember this one? The resistance. Right? You guys were LARPing as, uh, you know, like revolutionaries for five years. And did you think we, like, didn't see that? But here's the other thing. Before the 2020 November presidential elections, the nation's cities were convulsed by riots. J. Robert Smith, an American thinker. He says these were spread by leftist provocateurs, facilitated by Democrat mayors, condoned by congressional candidates, Democrats. George Floyd's death was an excuse. Mayhem was a regular feature for months on end. The rioting ceased as if by magic after the election. What am I supposed to make of that? Serious question. Right? Channeling my Joe Biden here. Serious. Serious. Like, what am I to make of this idea that as soon as Joe Biden won, all of the rioting stopped. Did all the police departments get cleaned up? Right? Did all the systemic racism get torn down? What happened? This election season, city streets are quiet, except for the routine sound of gunfire and the shouts and screams of victims, compliments of compassionate Democrat leaders. But after the midterm elections, when Democrats, their money bag bankers, sorry, money bags backers is what Robert Smith writes, uh, corporate media lackeys, right? When they when they are going to be, he says they're going to be stunned that they've lost Congress by margins larger than now anticipated, and heaps of state and local offices get lost too. The quiet may end abruptly. The Republican capture of Congress will necessitate a response. Democrats have an imperative. It is this: 
that Republicans must be made to fail and their allies must be targeted for retribution. Because the semi-fascists, the mega-maga, trickle-down, dark-maga, whatever it is, right, they must not prevail. They cannot prevail. They're the resistance, right? Or, I guess, in this analogy, we're the resistance, right? The lefties, we're, we're the resistance. This is what they're building up in their minds. On this, then you haven't been paying attention to North Carolina politics. When Pat McCrory became governor and the Republicans won control of the legislature for the first time in over a, over a century and a half, and they had control of the levers of power in government, this is exactly what the left did here, right? They staged the Moral Monday protest. They engaged in the, uh, the you know the uh, barging in in the legislature and the the uh, prevention of work being done at the legislature. Um, constant protests and such, the eviscerate, mitigate, litigate. This this launched all of the lawsuits against the state. So if you don't think they're going to behave like this if they lose again, I, I don't know what to tell you except you're not paying attention. Well, uh, we're waiting on Peter Flaherty to call. Uh, he is the chairman of the National Legal and Policy Center. And if he calls, we'll get him on. He had a piece at uh, Newsweek. BlackRock invests in censorship. This actually ties in. Hang on. Let me do this. Because it actually ties into this piece that I had mentioned before, which also ties into the polling. But this piece I had mentioned before about big business is not our friend. I was doing this at the end of the last hour. And... It's a piece by Tim Carney at uh, the Washington Examiner. And he points out how like this, this marriage between the Republican Party and big business, it, it never really made a lot of sense. There was one component, I mean, or, 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 well, more than one. Okay, you have, you have the component of uh, tax cuts, right? It's corporations like that. Uh, less regulation or fewer regulations. Uh, they like that too, sure. But... Aside from those two issues, and maybe the third being um, uh, illegal immigration and the ability to get lots of you know cheap labor, depending on what industry you're talking about, you know, think the uh, the Chamber of Commerce, right? Um, aside from those three areas, that marriage between the Republican Party and the and big business, especially you know big tech nowadays, it never really made a lot of sense. Democrats are way more likely than Republicans. To trust Hollywood, to trust big tech, to trust advertisers, to trust sports franchises. The left has always been a better fit for big business than the right. The Republican marriage with big business was never a sustainable relationship, he says. Um, Sales resistance, to borrow a term from Wendell Berry, is grounded in delayed gratification or a supernatural worldview. And this is a fundamental difference. And I don't know if this like this idea makes people become Republicans or if Republicans have this idea and so that's why they gravitate towards it. I don't know. What, you know. What's the chicken? What's the egg? But in big business, Democrats always had an ally in the culture war. Right? Because for the left, they are the rivals for tradition. Right? They're the ones that look at the, the institutions as they... Uh, they engage in their long march through them. 
they, they look at the institutions and they think these things are generally bad, right? They're systemically bad. Whether they're racist, they're misogynist, they're oppressive, whatever the case might be, they, they see these institutions as in need of serious dismantling, reform, if you will. Um, and this is the, we, we've talked about this in the vein of critical race theory, radical gender theory. Uh, all of these things flow from that same uh, Gramscian neo-Marxist philosophy with its roots in uh, Hegel. So that it always made sense that if you've got big business that's trying to break these types of connections and try to undermine these, uh, these institutions as well, that their allies would be of the left. Big tech and marketers of all stripes were forces of revolution and progress, right? I mean, th- th- this is the irony for me, the Gen X guy that I am, right? The, and I say this all the time, the United Colors of Benetton. And millennials and Gen Z, well, I'll ask Bernie, the resident millennial. Do you have any idea what that means? United Colors of Benetton. No, no he has no idea. Do you know what that means? Yeah, he does. <laughs> Craig does. <laughs> you're a Gen Xer? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 46. Yeah, yeah, you're Gen X. So, so there you go. There's a, a classic bifurcation. The United Colors of Benetton. So Benetton was... Was it a clothing company? Yeah, clothing company. And their big campaign when we were kids was diversity. And they had the, you know, United Colors of Benetton. They had all these different people, all these different colors. It was a fashion line, and so they had different uh, colored shirts and whatever. And they, they, they made it a social mission kind of thing. And nowadays, if you were to celebrate that marketing campaign... It would, it would put you squarely in the you're a racist camp because it's, it's not, you're not allowed to say I don't see color anymore. You're not allowed to say that. That's a sign of racism. you got to recognize that we are all different colors, but you can't make a focus of that, but then you also have to focus on it or something. Anyway, so the United Colors of Benefit, you can never do that campaign nowadays. And... That was a way that is a perfect example of the way corporate America pushes causes and tries to affect the culture. The Beatles are another example for all you boomers out there, uh, right? You got the Beatles. They, they affected the culture. So when you're trying to disrupt cultural norms, as the Beatles did or uh, as any kind of you know fashion company might be, um, it seems just only logical that politically speaking, the party that's going to align with you in those efforts is going to be the party of La Revolution. No? Right. Okay. So posing as the foes of big business has actually been a part of the Democrat identity for a very long time. During the Bush years, it was the easiest thing to do because you had Dick Cheney and Halliburton and Big Oil and all of big business. They were all with Cheney. Right? The Republican Party was mostly good, though, for cutting taxes and regulations. But those were always what Tim Carney calls contingent goods, which could always adapt to big government conditions, right? It's actually the Democratic Party that has mostly focused its governance on the culture wars in recent decades and prying us away as a culture, prying us away from other attachments. Here's the, the, here's the most obvious example of this. Faith. Right? Faith churches. Have you looked at church enrollment recently in America? Or any Western society? Family. Tradition. Community. 
right? All of these things, these attachments that rooted us in our society have all been picked at. And this is, by the way, and I'm not saying like this is like nefarious, although for some people on the left it is, but this is just part of the Hegelian process. It is to deconstruct, constantly deconstruct. Things that are things that rise up are then dismantled. You pull out the perfected pieces and you build a whole new system around that perfected piece. It's a constant process of deconstruction. This is when you hear leftists talk about the work, this is what they're meaning. The work. Now, I'm not sure all people, hashtag not all leftists, I'm not sure all of them understand when they say the work that that's what that reference is, but that is what that reference is. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder tonight is the final Talktoberfest event. WBT's Facebook page is where it's happening at, at 8 o'clock. Okay. Um, every Thursday, 8 o'clock, Talktoberfest 2022, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park. Uh, tonight it's going to be Brett Winnable, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman for the final Talktoberfest, and I'll be there in the chat box mixing it up, too, with my Pete Nicks. Uh, I want to welcome to the program Charles Kimry. Uh, he is uh, one of the masterminds here of the uh, Mallard Creek Barbecue. Uh, success today, Su- no? Yeah, big success. This, big success. Big success. Yeah. The Mallard Creek Barbecue, this is the 91st one, but going on, what, 93 years, right? But just you didn't yeah, have it for the last year. in succession it would have been the 93rd, but, you know, pandemic right. did its thing. So... Killed everybody's spirit. <laughs> so, uh, I don't want to be the the deliverer, the bearer of the bad news. So you could say it, or I could say it if you want me to. So yeah, it's um, it's one one fifty one, and we've uh, we've had to to close our drive through because we are sold out. Sold out, which is good. It is bad, good, but yeah. good. Uh, that. You got through all of it. What was it? Seventy three hundred pounds of pork, or something like that. Yeah. Our bill would yeah, here. Yeah. You've, you're the. Are you the numbers guy? Uh, one of them. One. Of, <laughs> can you break? Can you break down the numbers? How much? How much pork? How much? Uh, Seventy three hundred pounds of of uh, barbecue. Probably two thousand pounds of slaw. Twelve hundred gallons of stew ish. Uh, uh, and a whole lot of applesauce. A whole lot of applesauce. Lot, that's the official. You probably figure. did. Uh, Five thousand. Uh, let's see. What do we do? Thirty-five hundred sandwiches, and then I don't know. Three thousand, four thousand plates, maybe. We put fifteen hundred pounds of barbecue pounded in advance, put in pounds, and okay. sold that by ten o'clock. Yeah. So we everything we do, we're able to sell in bulk, and uh, bulk rule, ruled the day today. Really? Yeah. yeah. Is that different than years past? We believe because we don't have tables, we just uh, the bulk left yeah. first. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, are the tables coming back? Do you think next year, or is it too early to say? You think so? I think so. I yeah. would. I would hope so. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Um, My opinion would be yes, but it's a committee decision. Yeah. You know, oh, it's I a church, you. so it's a committee decision. Gotcha. You know well, how that is. A committee right? for the committee. <laughs> I I do understand. I'm a, I participate in HOA activities, so HOA. Yes, I am well aware how that stuff and, works. And I think other thing that Pete that's contributed to this. I think a lot of these people that are on diets. This is their free day. 
Ah, so, so you, yes. this could be your free day. I bought, thank you very much, I appreciate <laughs> that. Well, I bought the two pounds of pork. Right, I've good. got it in my bag, and I, I was telling Trump, I'm going down to the curb, and I'm going to sell it for oh, a huge oh, yeah. markup now that you guys are out. Well, our, our pork is lean. Very healthy. Yeah, yeah. It and is. so I did, and because I, and when I got it, they asked, "Oh, do you, you know, you can have?" Or they offered you could take whatever the sauce is. And I said, right. "I've been told I don't even need sauce for this." That's no. right. I heard this morning with Bo and Beth. Season. I don't even need that's sauce. That's right. And that's the way I prefer to eat pulled pork. That's right. If it's good, you don't need any kind of sauce on it. I think Season if you call, sauced. think if you call your folks at PhD Weight Loss, uh-huh. they, it's they're, they're going to be good with this. You're not getting paid for this. I know. Well, all right, all right. <laughs> I listen, make sure. We listen to you every day. <laughs> that's very so, kind. So uh, we've been following your journey, and it's been well, great. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. <laughs> it, and it is. This is one of the things I can eat. Absolutely, it's lean pork, and that's on the menu. That is approved. I'm looking forward to. It. I got, I got two go. pounds of it. Um, so I'll be eating on that for a while. Um, so. Whose job is it to to count all of the weights before the event? Like, you know, seventy three hundred pounds. Like, I, who does the tallying? Is well, that we order it from our food service uh, okay. performance food group, who's very good to us. You're not walking around with like a notebook and like, uh, we like, a little to. of both, yeah. a little of both, yeah. a little of both. <laughs> we order, and then when it comes in, we check to see that we got what we ordered. Okay, and if we don't, they make it right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and in, in the neighborhood of what we anticipated. Right. Right. You just said neighborhood. So now i got to ask, what does the, what, what the neighborhood think about this event every single year with the traffic? Do you guys get any complaints? Well, the neighborhood behind us is 20 years old. And as far as we know, they don't complain. The neighborhood across from us, they have been here longer than we have. And they love it. So. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. That's just one of those things I remember going up <coughs> around uh, the racetrack. Up in Concord one year, oh, yeah. around the and I thought because I was looking to buy a house at the time, and I w- went up there looking, and I said, "Oh my gosh, well, like yeah. got to keep this in mind before you buy. What events are going on that are going to keep right. you locked in your house? But I mean, for one day, the, and, and and you get barbecue. I mean, it's just it's a great yeah. event. The state came out here, I guess, three or four years ago, and the plans were to four lane this from here to Concord for four eighty five. Okay, from here. Uh, we looked through the plans with them because it affected our property and our, this community house, a historic schoolhouse. And so we went through that with them, and then that fall it got dropped. I think the state was $2 billion overspent in the highway fund. Oh, I remember As that a story. Raker, you could, I do yeah. remember that story. Yes, they uh, they pushed all the money out the door and then uh, had no money left for the projects that were already underway, and they couldn't pay their contractors, so they just stopped that's, everything. That's what happened. Uh huh. Oh, so that w- this was a casualty of that. Because man, if you had four lanes out here, be nice. Yeah, man. You could sling a lot of barbecue. Because traffic really is our is our nemesis. Yeah. Our bottleneck. Yeah. Our bottleneck yeah, yeah. Really. Well, I mean, this was fantastic. When did you guys add the drive-through lanes? Because you got five of them now, and I recall like it being a big deal. I want to say when like you guys first started doing drive-up, because back in the day, you had to you had to just well, come uh, in and hang out. No. Yeah. Well, when I started working on with this in '90, they had drive-through, but it wasn't nearly this big. Right. It was just kind of an evening thing. We built this four-lane shed in like '92. One year after a deluge of rain about rained us out the year before. And we knew we had to do something to stay a little bit dry if we had rain. So we just built it as big as we could build it. Yeah. And uh, this year when we knew all we were doing was drive through, we added added a fifth. The fifth lane on the yeah. side over there. And it's worked out really well. I got to tell you, too, I haven't heard anybody honking horns. I haven't heard anybody, you know, no road rage incidents. The, the one thing that has helped <laughs> us with that is the cell phone 
Now people, instead of sitting in line and getting upset, they're on their cell phone looking at whatever they're looking at. That's that's my theory. You walk by the line and everybody's looking at their, their smartphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're or listening to game. WBT. That's very kind of you. That's <laughs> a, you're not getting paid for this. Bill. All right. So, uh, the, so yeah, that, that does make sense, though, uh, that you have people that c- they can pass the time. Right. And, and this isn't that big of a deal right. now to wait. Um, right. Well, congratulations on a successful event. Thanks so much uh, Thank for you. coming over. Absolutely. And I guess we'll see you next year. Yes, sir. Uh, All right. Certainly hope so. Thank you so much. At Thank the you, Mallard Pete. Creek Barbecue. Mallet Creek Presbyterian Church every year for 91 years. All right, we'll be back in a minute. We'll talk with Ben Weingarten from Real Clear Investigations.